I could close that window. We're fine. No one will notice. Okay. Everyone have their phones off? Mine's on vibrate. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan. I'm Carrie. Hi, I'm Patrick. And Grandpa. Welcome to the 1993 Academy Awards. They keep happening. Yay! This is If I Ran the Oscars, where we take a look at one movie from each year the awards were on TV. We look at something at one four and three things chosen at random to see if maybe it could have worn for those two. We love random. Yep. Uh, this year was yet another year where we could have rolled a Disney movie. It's going to happen for a while. Right, because uh, Disney was on a roll. Yeah, this year was Aladdin, which I would have been okay watching. I think it would have been some good discussion there. But we don't want to watch an animated movie every week. I mean, we could have. Meh. But instead we rolled Best Picture, but not the discussion for Best Picture. But it was the Best Picture. It was Unforgiven, the mm-hmm. third Western to win Best Picture. I know. The second was Dances with Wolves. Was what? The second Western to win Best Picture was Dances with Wolves. Do you know what the first one was? No, I think I've heard this back. It's from 1930. That's before your time. No. Cimarron. Yeah, we mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an interesting movie. Uh, Oddly enough, this was the last of Clint Eastwood's more traditional westerns. He's since been in movies that are like kind of ish westerny, but no, this is definitely really, this is definitely his last one that was you know it, set, set, set in, in the, the set in the wild west in the American Southwest. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, ridiculously successful. I didn't see this movie when it came out. Uh, to the tune of got back like twelve times his budget. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Hmm. There were also. Some famous people in here besides Clint Eastwood, but we can start with him. Famous thespians? Famous famous thespians. Not James Carey, though. Not James. Clinton Eastwood Jr. Okay. He got his start on... Gunsmoke? Rawhide. Wrong one. Oh, I was so (laughs) close. And then, of course, the Dollars trilogy of Spaghetti Westerns. Mm Mm-hmm. And eventually, Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry. for, For which there were five... I didn't know there were five. We watched the last one for the other podcast with that had famous thespian James Carey in it. Really? I didn't remember that. It's the Deadpool. Yeah. yeah. I didn't watch that. You yeah. watched that with your friend. We no, were no, no, no. We watched Darkman. That's a different podcast anyways. <laughs> okay. These roles, among others, have made Eastwood an enduring cultural icon of masculinity. Thanks, Wikipedia. That seems okay. like a... A little bit of subjective editing, I'm but glad, all right. I'm glad you said that, not me. <laughs> uh, Clint Eastwood also served as the mayor of Carmel-by-the-Sea for two years. Mm-hmm. And in the United States Army. Yeah. And the discussion of people being in the military shall come up again. Mm-hmm. We all, I was doing some research and we almost have every branch of the U.S. military represented in this film. Mm. Almost. Well, by... By major characters. By major characters. I'm sure if we went if, if we through intended, the whole production crew, we probably we do could find have. someone in the navy if we went through yes. the production crew. Okay. Uh, but he got best director, director, and best picture for this, but also in 2004 for Million Dollar Baby. Oh. Those are his four Academy Awards. Okay. He never got best actor. Mm-hmm. Okay. His most successful movies commercially were comedies. Really. Every which way but loose, and any which way you can. I had no idea. Those are his most commercially successful films. I'm surprised. That's amazing. Yep. Hmm. 
But he's done a whole lot of stuff. He's in a movie that's coming out later this year. Oh my. Is he in it or is he directing it too? Nope, it's directed and produced by him, 2021. Uh, He's in it, yeah, no, he's still making movies. Well, good for him. I... Yeah, uh, he's. It's pretty iconic to the point that you can't have a reference to a Western film without, without referencing my day. Without referencing Clint Eastwood or maybe John Wayne. Yeah, he sure has done a lot of work. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Next person, but the twelve-year-olds probably don't know who he is. Oh, the, they don't know who John Wayne is either. They I mean they barely know what westerns are at this point. That's true. Go look up westerns and then. You know, make sure you have a good long talk with your mom about <laughs> why extreme sexism and chauvinism is bad. And I'm glad that we grew out of it. <laughs> and and uh, Clint Eastwood started acting at age 25. Mm-hmm. Most... In Revenge of the Creature. Yeah, that sounds like something. Sounds like a make. good film. That sounds it? like something they'd make in the 50s. <laughs> Next old person in this movie who is not dead, mm-hmm. Eugene Allen Hackman. Yeah, he was in the Marines as a like radio operator, but mm-hmm. in the Marines right. for a couple of years. He has two Academy Awards, but they are for acting. Sure. He let's see, let's see, Best Actor for The French Connection in '71, mm-hmm. and right. he got the Best Supporting Actor for this movie. Mm-hmm. He's been was nominated for Bonnie and Clyde, and I Never Sang for My Father and Mississippi Burning. Wow. But he's been in a lot of things, too. Oh, yeah. I, I think the first thing that I would recognize him from... You mean the earliest thing? Well, not necessarily earliest thing, but the one that sticks out in my head the most is Superman. Oh, really? He's Lex Luthor. He's Lex Luthor. Right. In the original 1978 Superman, the movie. Mm-hmm. But he's been in a lot of things. His last role before retiring, and I think he came out of retirement in like 2016 for a bit part, mm-hmm. was Welcome to Mooseport in oh, that's 2004. A, that's a very silly movie. Yep. Well, he was in the Royal Tenenbaums before it, so you know, mm-hmm. he'd, he'd switched to comedy mm-hmm. at the time. But you know, all both of these guys have Academy Awards, Golden Globe, SAG Awards, things like that. Next old person, and the youngest of the four we're going to talk about, okay. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> he was born in 1937, and that makes him the youngest by a significant margin. Wow. Hmm. Do you know where he got his big breakout start in film slash television? I have no idea. Well, he did it for several years in the 70s. The Electric Company. I do remember that, now that you say it. The slightly older kids TV show to follow Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was one of the adults. He was, on in the fact, show. one of the adults on the show, and it's why I was looking up uh, the uh, Fargo North decoder. No, he was Fargo North, the Great Decoder. Yeah, well, this just listed it, it listed it in the way that makes the pun more obvious. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that was not a character of Morgan Freeman. His was Easy Reader, ah. uh, a smooth hipster that loved reading, which was a pun on the movie Easy Rider. Sure, sure. He's done some really good work. Oh, he's done some stuff. Uh, he's got he has an Obie for being in Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. Uh, breakout role on the film was Street Smart in '87, which was followed shortly thereafter by Driving Miss Daisy in '89. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is pretty early in his being good in movies career. '94 uh, is Shawshank Redemption, at which point I think 
we had determined that Morgan Freeman can do no wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He has, of course, he was, of course, also in Million Dollar Baby. He's played the president more than once. Mm-hmm. He, he was Nelson Mandela in Invictus. Mm-hmm. He's been in all of the Dark Knight Batman movies. Mm-hmm. Lots of stuff. He doesn't. He hasn't directed as much, which I think, which is a difference from the other guys. Hey, he was Vitruvius. Yeah, he in was the Lego movie. Yeah, <laughs> we have of course talked about him there, and he was in the Air Force in the fifties. Hmm. Made it to first. Made it to Airman first class. He's the only one of the three with a rank mentioned. Really? Yep. Made it to Airman first class. Yeah. That's Buck Sergeant in the army. Yeah. Hmm. And the last of our old guys, oddly enough. All of the old guys were born in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman in 37, and the other three in 1930. Their their age difference is a matter of about four months. Huh. Is Richard Harris, who is Irish, but mm-hmm. does a good British accent, as noted in this film. Yeah, he passed in 2002. He is the only one of them that is dead. The other three are still going. Uh, his notable early performance... Was being was being King Arthur in the film Camelot in 1967. Hmm. However, he would then go on to be in a few other things, such as this, the old emperor in the movie Gladiator, who put that. who put his son in charge, and his son is the bad guy. Oh, jerk he guy. was the old. He's the old, the old guy. He's the old guy who gets murdered. Spoilers yeah, for anyone yeah, who hasn't seen yeah. Gladiator, and possibly us, because I think that got nominated for everything. Uh, he was in the 2002 Count of Monte Cristo, and the first two Harry Potter movies as Albus Dumbledore, the head of the school. He, oh, I said Dumbledore. I know nothing about Harry Potter. You are correct. It is Dumbledore. I, just, I think that's just the most the fun really, word to say. He's really, really old guy who kind of talks like this. And that, you know, his voice matched. But when Morgan Freeman in the Lego movie calls him Dumbledore. Yeah. And he says, oh, it's Dumbledore. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, he died in 2002. And that's when the second Harry Potter movie came out. And additional spoilers, Dumbledore doesn't die until movie six. <laughs> so they had to find a new guy. <laughs> but, yeah, he's done things for a while. His film debut was in the 50s. There's not really any other major person in this as far as went on to have mm-hmm. a long and storied career. Except for maybe two guys. One would be Mr. Beauchamp. Who right. I definitely recognized. Right. Oh yeah. He's been does a lot of TV work. Mm-hmm. I honestly I think that there must have been a point where the script of this film was following him around. Because he definitely seemed like someone that if we followed him, we would just see cool plot stuff happening. Because he was seemed to be trying to track down the person who was the best at shooting people. Oh. Because he switched writing targets mm-hmm. throughout the film. And if it wasn't for all of the things that needed to happen to establish Clint Eastwood's character, we probably could have just followed this guy around and had him be like the John Watson. Sure. Uh, the other one is Tantu Cardinal, who we have seen before in Dances with Wolves. Right. She did very well in that movie, and she was in this one for about ten seconds. Mm, yeah, <laughs> but it without wasn't long. speaking, without speaking, we knew exactly what she was saying. Yeah. She was. Mm-hmm. She had very good expressions going on. So, anybody else you recognize from previous films? No. 
I was trying to pick I up on where um, where Anthony James had been, where we had seen him, because he he's done a lot of yeah. television. He's skinny. Do, he's the skinny, skinny face guy. Well, yeah, he's the guy who owns who was, the horse. They called him skinny. He was the pimp. Yeah. Not described as the pimp, but that's essentially what his job was. Yeah. He was in the heat of the night. He was in the Naked Gun 2 I don't and remember. a half. Yeah. I don't remember any of those movies, so. Yeah, well, we watched that one. Yeah. yeah. Did, uh, I don't know. Don't remember. I don't, yeah, I don't think he had a very big part in that movie. No, he, he was there and recognizable, but. What did he do in Heat of the Night? He was probably. He was Ralph. Huh? He was Ralph. Was it, isn't that the guy whose sister was getting stuff done to her? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. All right. Well, anywho, the movie. What do we think about this movie of a bunch of morally ambiguous things <laughs> happening? Uh, you, you really got to wonder who was the good guy in this film. There wasn't one. Like we the, said, the writer was as good as they come. Well, he <laughs> was a character. No, he was an opportunist. <laughs> he was no, an opportunist. He, he was an opportunist, yeah, that's and true. that's true. Realistically, you know. Who had I, left his wife back east somewhere. Like, you know, a stick is not a good or a bad person because it doesn't yeah, do anything. Pretty interesting that there were all the characters that were in the background were just like extras. They, they didn't have any notable part. They weren't doing anything significant. Their motivation was... Dying. Their motivation was based on sort of mobocracy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if they were in the bar, they did what everybody in the bar did. If they were, I mean, out, even the deputies were insignificant in the film. They just did what everybody else did. They were conformists. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the the, the sheriff character was was running the town with a iron fist and seemed um, less than a moral character. Yeah, this is reminding me a lot of what is unfortunately often a poor method for determining morality, which is the Dungeons and Dragons alignment table. Oh, okay. Because it has things that are, you can list things as, say, lawful evil. Yeah. Which is, you uphold the proper law by any means necessary. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what you have to do to get people to obey the law. The end justifies the means. Sort yeah. Of Actually, one of the one of the best guys was the partner of the of the dude who cut the girl. Yeah. No, he didn't deserve to get shot at all. He, he was he was probably the best, the most moral character I think of the whole show. Yeah. Well, I think it was the one thing that Dan pointed out when we were watching the film. They had a lot of uh, words at the beginning. Yeah. To set the scene, and then they had words at the end that. I'm not sure we needed those. Well, we didn't really need any. No, the words at the beginning told us things that did not immediately inform what was happening next. Mm-hmm. Like, you usually right. see that in something like, you know, big medieval epics, mm-hmm. where it talks about the history of the bloody war between the French and the Hoosits. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then they put you in a set. Yeah, and then it immediately drops you into the wars happening mm-hmm. now, so that you don't... Because there's no time for pe- people in the war are not going to, like, pause next to a wall out of breath and go, man, it's a lot of work being in the war between the French, and they're not going to do that. They need kind of need mm-hmm. the text dump so you have context. But the text dump didn't give us context for the next scene. And when it did give us context... The scene gave it to us first because he talked about his wife who had died, 
we didn't need to be told that. And, and at he, the end... And the other character was talking about what he had done in the past. Yeah. And the bit at the end, it didn't wrap up the story of any character we had seen, really. It said he'd gone and no one knew where to find him. Yeah. Well, no, it said where he... Well, people, it said, where, it said they where they thought he, thought he went. Yeah, they said where he thought he went. Yeah. Right. But it wasn't like when you see the movies that are based on a true story and it has the so-and-so now lives happily in California and mm-hmm. raises bees mm-hmm. and things like that. So... Right. I mean, I thought that was a little odd. I think there were... Um... The potty humor was a bit much. It wasn't a bit much, but it definitely felt out of place. Uh, yeah, why did they put that in there? There were the three... The diaper zone There were humor. three obvious... In, there were the three obvious... In, and it wasn't... See, it's nice it wasn't the same joke. They well, did do three different jokes. Mm-hmm. But it was the things that you do with your ding-dong. <laughs> it wasn't... And it wasn't necessarily even a joke. It was just these guys talking. Well, the guy peeing himself was yeah. the first instance. Yeah, weird. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, that that's that's whatever... Right. Then you talk about doing it with your hand and like that. That did, well, it just seemed like low hanging fruit. It did, and I think it was supposed to establish how these guys are such good friends that they can joke about this kind of thing. Hmm. But there's no, other things you could do. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, the script writing mm-hmm. as one of our extra things, and this screenwriter has written good movies. Well, I also uh, going back to the the. Sp- story in this film I think that there was a pretty good story arc with Clint Eastwood's character oh there I think was. that was that was really excellent and I and I really appreciated that because there was uh, he he was he was changed by the end yeah and we got to be there along the way for that change and I think that was uh, I appreciated that mm-hmm now uh, it there was a good story there, but it definitely felt like there were points where there was just a bit too much extra, and it didn't ruin the story. We've definitely seen movies, either for this podcast or previously, where bad writing of extra bits ruins the very good story that they have built, but, you know, could have saved yourself, you know, one or two minutes of runtime and all of, you know, a giant bucket of gravitas. Yeah. Hmm. Except for except, except for maybe the part about the two guns guy, that that I felt was kind of okay. It was it still okay. it still was a little odd, but that was definitely the point where we had to understand how crude Gene Hackman's character was mm-hmm. in a way that wasn't actually hurting someone. And I guess that part worked. The other two were weird, but in any case. So screenwriting. So we well, can segue fir- into that. Well, the first we first talk about what the thing it won for. Which was film editing. Film editing. Oh. And I decided to look up the Wikipedia article on film editing to see if it gave me anything. And it said, for most of the existence of the Academy Awards, the award for film editing goes hand in hand with the award for best picture. Huh. In that a majority of films that win best picture also win best film editing. And, in fact, almost every Best Picture winner is at least nominated for film editing. Okay. I think you mentioned that before. Now. Yeah, possibly. Well, I know that usually Best Picture and Best Director go together. Those two also go together. Hmm. So, the thing that I decided to pay attention to here in a way that other movies would 
do things differently is the amount of pause that happens, which I think is a signature of the Hollywood Western. Okay. Uh, most specifically, if you think about like the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the scene at the end where the three guys are in the are in the standoff, and you're just like, Waiting. hold on his face, hold on his face, things like that. Mm-hmm. The director can shoot as much hold on his face as he wants, mm-hmm. and you know he probably will just to make sure that you have the right one. But it's the editor's job to decide how long the pause should be. Right, mm. right, right. And in this one, especially with the lack of music. There's nothing you have to time your edits to. You don't have to worry about, okay, the song's coming, and so in 15 seconds, we'd better be ready for the next bombastic thing. Mm -hmm. There's none of that. It's all in how long is just long enough for you to feel tense without going, get on with it. And I don't think I ever, I never felt like it was holding too long. There were it was def- there were definitely tense moments where you would just hold on a guy's face or you know go back and forth between mm-hmm. a few and it never felt too long. Yeah. Although it felt like the intensity increased toward the end of the film when music got added. It did help a little bit. It pushed the tension. Yeah. When they mm-hmm. added the discordant music at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame about no music in there, but I don't think so. I think it's old school. I think it yeah. makes it feel more old school mm-hmm. to not have big orchestration going all the time. I, I just like music and movies, but me. I could do an entire podcast about it. Yeah. Maybe I will one day. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe one day. What did you say? You have music for the whole podcast? Well, no. I was thinking I could do a podcast about music in movies. Oh. Maybe one day. And well, that, one will probably, that one will probably have less people in it. We'll see. I disagree with most of what I've heard because... I think cowboy music is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting that the the film editor, Mr. Joel Cox, the number of films he has done with Clint Eastwood, with Clint Eastwood is most of most them? of his career. No, I went looking through the other. It's crazy. I who is who that helped out its production on this film, and it's basically Clint Eastwood's dream team of his usual guys from the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. Including the music guy, which was Lenny Niehaus, and his cinematographer, Jack Green. And of course, the production company is his, because he produced and directed it. Next extra thing is best screenplay. We're finally getting to the screenplay. How do we feel about the words, what were written? Was this screenplay written for the movie, or was it uh, something else first? This one is written directly for the screen. I don't necessarily... Well, I didn't feel like it was extraordinary. It was... The story was there, but there being parts that took away from it, I think, would hurt it. Yeah. And I don't know much about the movies that were around at the time. The winner for this year was The Crying Game, which is a some manner of thriller, because there's a gun on it. No idea. It's about the troubles. Oh, God. <laughs> oh really? Uh, it was nominated for Best Screenplay. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, looks like not a lot of other movies I recognize are sitting here in the screenplay categories. So, must have been a weird year for film. Next one, Best Supporting Actor. We did have someone in this one. That would be Gene Hackman. He was the first supporting actor. Was he a convincing bad guy? Yeah. Yeah, good. He won. Yeah. Yeah, I think he... He was maybe not such a convincing bad carpenter. Yeah. But I think he was a convincing, you know, 
dishonest sheriff. Mm-hmm. I think that was convincing. Well, this wasn't. This was maybe a bad year for well-written films, but it wasn't a bad year for films I recognized because also in the category of supporting actor, Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Al Pacino in Glengarry Glen Ross, which mm-hmm. I've definitely heard of. Al Pacino, of course, would win Best Actor for a different movie. Hmm. How about that? Oh, and someone that we have not talked about yet, but perhaps we shall later, Robert Downey Jr. being nominated for Best Actor as Charlie Chaplin in Chaplin. Hmm. I forgot that he was in that. Yeah? Oh, Malcolm X was this year, too? Jeez. What? All right. Wow. Maybe this was a better year for film than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the last one, best costume design. Please, do the thing. (laughs) I did think it was interesting that Clint Eastwood's character uh, was wearing a maroon-colored shirt. All right. Because, you know, generally if you're going, you know, it's a big ball scene, you put a woman in a red dress because then she's easy to spot. She's the only one Mm -hmm, in the ballroom wearing a red dress. Well, there were times when... The lighting on his shirt did the same thing for my brain. You know, he's the woman yeah. in the red dress. Mm-hmm. He's the main character because he's wearing red. But, Even mm-hmm. though it wasn't bright red. And he was rarely in a crowd where he needed to stand out. Yeah. Which was also interesting. Right. right. But it also then gave his character m- more importance. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, it really bothers me in westerns when the people are all clean. And they... Did not do that in this film. This film, the, the ladies were relatively clean, but they they're relati- also the ladies. They were the ladies, and they were, you know, they, well, they do their work indoors. Re- they have to be reasonably. Yeah, they don't have any business. Yeah, right. Yeah, but I think that it's it really bothers me to watch, you know, old school western TV shows from the '60s, and everybody is super clean. Well, I don't know. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever seen a guy go down face first into a pig pen twice. Mm-hmm. Here's another yeah. thing to note. And I may have missed it. Was anyone wearing a white hat? No, no, uh-uh. no. Because that's old school Western right there. Yeah. White hats, no. white, white and black hats. There was yeah. one man no. in the yeah. in Greeley's, and he was wearing a tan, not mm-hmm. tan, light gray. Yeah, his that was the lightest colored hat of anyone. And, and he didn't have a speaking role or doing. He didn't anything. have a speaking no. role, and it wasn't a wide brim. I mean, this was a a, more like a, a guy from town. More like a bowler, maybe. It, the shape wasn't exactly a bowler, but it was not, it was a curled brim. Yeah, it was not a big hat. It was not a, you know, I'm not out on the range, out in the sun, and need yeah. a big brim. Because mm-hmm. the traditional Western is good guys wear white hats, bad guys wear black hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, that terminology has, interestingly enough, carried on to computer hackers. Mm. White hat hackers hack for good. Black hat, hat hackers hack for evil. Oh, dear. <laughs> And do you think they're actually wearing hats? Oh, heavens no. They're wearing, you know, sarcastic t-shirts and drinking Mountain Dew. But, <laughs> but no, that's... That's a side note. That, that, that's very much a side note. But this one being what is what the term is apparently revisionist Western is mm-hmm. not playing into the tropes of Westerns mm-hmm. from Clint Eastwood's days where he's the good guy mm-hmm. and he... Fights the bad guys, and that's it. So that, from a costume standpoint, you know, that was well thought through. It was not nominated, because the costumes, while appropriate, were not terribly interesting. Well, they were just, yeah. I mean, 
sometimes then you yeah. you know you get beautiful ball gowns or period costumes or something. The winner of best costume design, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Did so you know, period drama. A, a, yeah. a place where you need to look fabulous. Yes, that's, right. that's what I'm talking about. And that's our categories. Do we have anything else to add about this film? I didn't fall asleep. Well, that's good. <laughs> I had more trouble with this film than anything we've watched so far. There was a bit of mumbling my going eyes, on. My eyes are getting so bad, I didn't even notice Clint's shirt. It was a dark... It was I didn't dark. notice the hat. I didn't think about the hats. Well, and there was a lot of, visibility-wise, um, there was a lot of dark scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Dark in the rain. The thing that I didn't stuff. enjoy was the scene. Yeah. There were some beautiful... Beautiful in, in, even in the panning in the, shots, mm-hmm. in the breaks in the yeah. uh, in the uh, creek mm-hmm. bottoms and stuff. yeah, but that uh, that was to me that was good. Mm-hmm. That was really nice. And the, I think the dialect, the the mm-hmm. um, slurring the words, truncating the words, that's probably difficult. Also, well, there was more than one scene where I didn't actually catch all of the words, mm-hmm. and I was mm-hmm. you know paying attention with my nice young person ears. And, and it did get nominated for some cinematography and art direction. And like art direction. they, there was definitely thought and care put into yeah. the general idea. But this, you also have to remember, this was still when film was film, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you couldn't necessarily check it on site to say, okay, well, you all acted really good, but it's just too dark on the camera. We got to do it again and put in another light. You just couldn't do that. And you get done with the film and you're like, okay, we're done. Send it off to the editor. And the editor looks at it, sighs, drinks another, you know, pot of coffee and does what he can. And you just, you, if a film's too dark, you can't just flip a switch and lighten it up. That's done. You were, you're done. You got to do what you can. So I feel like there is possibly disconnect there. I had to stay awake the whole time and I still didn't. (laughs) <laughs> it's all right. Not not every one of the movies we watch here is a winner. It's, yeah. it's, it's, well, it's not everybody's well, coming to you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying that I just, I don't know, just something, something there. I, I had to really stay alert. Or, yeah. And then I had trouble. So. Yeah. No, I'd say this movie was made 10 years later, even with the same setting and idea. It probably would have looked better because they would have had better access to immediately tell what a scene was going to look like mm-hmm. on film. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. right, because just with digital technology yeah. and capabilities, yeah. what they can do with computers and things yeah. later. Yeah. As far as whether the movie was good overall, I mean, it got the best picture, but I think if I was doing the 1992 best movies, mm-hmm. at, least for, at least for me, I wouldn't have included this one. Because hmm. we got access to... You know, we got Latin in there. We got Malcolm X in there. We got a uh, few good men in there. Things like that. Yeah. So, is a few good men you can't handle the truth? Yeah, that's exactly right. That is, in fact, the one. It's got the good old Tom Cruise in it too. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to thank the Academy for doing its job and thereby pointing us in the direction of quality filmmaking. Bye. 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 Bye.